0: Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy. All right, at this time, I'm going to invite up my friend Scott, who's going to be leading us this morning in a phenomenal conversation about the Bible. (laughs) Just what we came here for. Yes. Yes. Thank you, guys. High fives on the way down, and everybody else. Yes, uh, we are in a series, if uh, you're paying attention to series, uh, called Biblio Idolatry, uh, how we can make the Bible an idol. Every church in America is actually having the same conversation. That's not true. No. Uh, Probably you've never been to a church that even discussed that, right? Um, And so uh, this morning, I am... I was given kind of, uh, you know, kind of talk how talk about what you want to talk about. And so I want to actually talk about the, because we're looking at different filters, about the filters we bring to the Bible, and I want to talk about the filter of want that we bring to the Bible. So uh, we read the passage before um, of the story of Bartimaeus, right? So there's this, uh, there's this, there's this, uh, this is like, Kind of at a, it, it helps us to understand the context. This, I actually think this picture is really great. Um, you know, none of it's true. It's just an artistic explanation of it. Uh, but Jesus, his ministry is building momentum. Like he's been teaching for a while. There's been people following him, and they're and they're slowly making their way to Jerusalem. And so there's this there's a lot of momentum with this movement. All right, lots of people around, a lot of people talking about it and we all have been a part of or you know we're in like a presidential election season so we understand like some people are talking and there's movements and there's power and there's lots of movement and things going on and so you can see this like giant entourage that's going on and like and and it's happening and all these people and it's coming through towns and stuff and then there's this moment where this beggar on the side of the road is like jesus son of david <laughs> and people are like <laughs> Just not, hey, calm down, right? Calm down. Because it's embarrassing, right? It's embarrassing and kind of like not in, the, uh, not in the values and the thrill of what this movement is. And uh, this, this like parade of religion is going by. And what we often think about people who are on the side of the road or the beggar in this situation is like, hey, this guy might need help. But you know who shouldn't be the person helping him in this moment is the leader of this movement, right? Because if it's just like some money or something like that, like somebody else can help him out. And, and what we see unfold, at least in this story, which is this part is less about kind of our want and stuff. But I think it, it, we, I don't want to miss this part is that often in movements or in, in, in things that seem really important, uh, people who are follower of Jesus you know, like Team Jesus, like if you wore the t-shirt, you know, Jesus, uh, we can often miss what Jesus wants by going, well, that, you know, let's, there's something else going on. Like, yeah, sure, I get that, but, you know, here, just take care of it. Let's keep going. We got this thing going on. But what we actually see is that Jesus hears this and then says, bring him to me, right? And so those of us who've been on Team Jesus for a while, we can often, like, miss What's happening? Because we get caught up in the moment of what we think we're supposed to be focusing on. And then those of us who feel like maybe we're on the side, and and there's all of this stuff going by, and you're like, I don't know how to participate in it. And but I just I, I I'd like to I have a question. I uh, would you see me over here and stuff? That often we think that we can maybe be bugging Jesus or bugging the, <laughs> the things that are happening, but quite the opposite. We see that Jesus is really interested in. Who is calling to him? Um, and so, just a little caveat at the beginning of the story of like we can often miss what Jesus wants to be involved in, and, and we can often think that he, it's you know God's so busy with everything going on, how could He possibly listen to me at all? But uh, so, what we see here in this uh, passage unfolding is uh, this: this He calls out. Jesus says, "Bring him here," and they're like, "Hey, great! Come along, come in and see. Uh, come, Jesus is calling you." And He asks them, "What do you want?" What do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. Now, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. Like, when we start saying, like, what do we want? Like, Jesus essentially says, what do you want from me? What do you want? And we start talking about wants and desires and dreams are really like our wants kind of manifested, right? We start to get into some tricky, tricky places. Because we get into a real intimate, like, the, the intimate aspect of our lives. And it would behoove us to say, like, what is a dream? You know, I think a dream, often we say, like, I'll have a dream one day, I'd like to do this, which we're getting in touch with our wants, our desires. And a dream can mean a lot of different things for us. Like a dream could be like a series of, you know, this word has a lot of meanings, like it could be uh, a series of images going on in our head while we're uh, going to sleep at night, or a dream could be some, like, object, like a house on a street of dreams, or some kind of occupation, or travel, or job you'd like to have, for a lot of us, when we just hear the word dream, we just go, oh, you mean, uh, you mean uh, Ryan Gosling? Yeah, that guy's a dream. Um, or for some of you, you don't think that, but he's been in your dreams before, and you're like, yeah, I don't know why that happened, but he showed up. I like that in this one, he's my dad. Uh, that's a great. I know there's some counselors here who can help me with that. But if you were to look in the dictionary, which is the collection of how we use words in our culture, a dream simply means a cherished desire. And desire feels like a really sexy word that we shouldn't talk about at church, right? Because desire means you want something in the world. And I'm not a sociologist or anthropologist or any kind of gist, but I think... Like, generationally, we've all been pitched what we want. Because a dream and our wants aren't necessarily about, like, a certain object or thing. I think they're actually more about the person I'd like to be when I got that thing or I got that to that place or I was able to own that thing or have that job. And I think we've all been pitched generationally about ways to become those people. Like, I think for my parents' generation or people who are older than me, I think you guys got pitched really hard materialism. Like, it's still happening nowadays for sure. But, you know, it was like a lot of money post-war, all the stuff, get the house, get the boat, get the car, get the, you know, uh, all the things, get that color TV, whatever. You'll finally, like, get all this stuff, and you'll finally be that up-and-standing citizen that we all hoped you to be. I mean, like, who are all these RVs for anyways, right? Because they're not for, I come from Generation X, right at the end of Generation X, and we saw our parents be miserable and get divorced, and we know that didn't work. Uh, but what we were told throughout our lives is like, look, you'll pretty have, you'll have like kind of normal lives, but every now and then. Some alien force, some outside presence is going to come into your lives and take you out of that boringness or out of that plainness and lead you into the adventure that you'd always hoped for. These are all the narratives of Star Wars, Back to the Future, E.T., right? Like, who's trying now to take us to space to find those aliens? That's Elon Musk. Sorry if you don't recognize him. Um, And then for those who are younger than me, you're really screwed because what you were told... What you really want over and over again is that uh, the person, the place that you'd finally find yourself or your deepest wants would happen on a stage, you know, like in a band because that always works and lasts forever. And um, (laughs) yeah, it actually says forever on there. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, you do, you know, if you got to be on a stage or something like that, you might find a certain aspect of yourself, but you might also find an aspect of yourself you didn't know was in there either. I loaned her that. And so um, what happens, though, is all of us, when we grow up, we, we see something in somebody else, and we go, I would like to be like that. I, I have this want. I have this dream. And we all have disappointments through our lives. It's particularly painful when you come across middle age because uh, really it's kind of the fulcrum of, like, none of that's going to come true, right? And what happens is that uh, this dream or this want when you've had enough of them not come true the way you hoped, you stop dreaming because it's painful to dream. It's painful to want. I remember talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor of a large church in town. We were talking about this, and he's like, I, I actually don't know if I have any more dreams. I don't, think I've actually, I don't think I've actually like tried to have any more after so many of them haven't come true, right? So then to be confronted by Jesus in the story, to go, what do you want? It, it's a scary question. It's a scary question. Because it actually in, in like the realm in the conversation of faith, what it feels like is that if I say what I want or I dream or I desire, it's going to create an artifact in the world that's going to be used against me in the, as evidence in the argument that God actually doesn't care about my life. That God's actually not involved with my life. And I, I think we can often go, oh, I'm going to take a risk and ask for things. Or, you know what, I'm just going to kind of be content and not ask for anything because I'd like to keep what I have. Often wanting can mean I'm risking what I have. And I don't know if I want to risk it because it's, it's, it's okay. And I know it, it, there's a lot of unanswered questions and whatever, you know, but I'd rather, I don't want to lose this. This little thing of faith I have left, and it feels like wanting or expressing what I want would actually ruin that in some way. This is a deep question that Jesus asked this man. It's not the only time, in fact, uh, that he's asked this question. In fact, in the same chapter, just like moments before or days before, uh, Jesus is, asked, is approached by some of his disciples. I don't have it up here, but I'll just read it for you. So, so uh, yeah, just like 10 verses before, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? The exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And Jesus says to them, you do not know what you are asking. You are, able, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, oh, we're able. And he said, okay, the cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Uh, I think one thing that we all know about our wants and our desires is that there are things that we can want. There are levels of want, right? There are things that we're like, I want this. And then if you're like, do you really want that? There's like a deeper, deeper want that we're trying to get to. And we can have these wants and desires. uh, And there's actually like a spiritual way of, of, of discerning them, right? Like our desires lead us to our greatest flourishing and our desires also can lead us to our greatest destructions. Like, we've all seen the desire for wealth, and that, can, that desire in a person can lead somebody to being very generous and open, like the fullest version of themselves. And we've all seen the desire of wealth lead somebody to become, like, <laughs> crooked and, you know, scroogey, and just, like, the worst version of themselves. Like, two people can desire one another relationally, physically, sexually, emotionally, and they need to be Uh, discerning if they're being invited into the vocation of what it takes to make a relationship happen. Like, you might have a desire for a certain kind of occupation or work in the world, and you need to discern if you're being invited to, like, the commitment and the skill it's going to take to make that happen. Like, we have these different desires, and they're leading us to different places. But initially, we might ask for things, and we might not get it, because maybe that's not what we're really trying to get uh, get to. Uh, This is seemingly racist, but it's the internet racist. Uh, like, there's these things. somebody told me about these three Chinese curses. I don't know if they're Chinese curses, but that's what the internet says. So I'm just saying, according to the internet, these are three Chinese curses. But I think they're funny, uh, which is, <laughs> and, I, and there's like tons of blogs and people wrote about these, uh, uh, but they just like, I think they're really great because they like. like, here's, here's the curses I want to give you. May you live in interesting times. May you be recognized by people in high places. May you find what you're looking for. And I think what's really great about these curses is, isn't this kind of everything that we want? And whoever came up with these, whether it was a person from China or the culture of China or just somebody on the internet who said, this seems funny to say. uh, it's, It's pointing out like maybe what we want isn't actually what we want. Maybe what we want could lead us to a curse or actually something opposite. And so it takes discernment. Like Jesus in the in situation, his disciples come to him and say, We want these things. And he's like, Do you really want them? I don't know if that's what you want. And it's really not up to me to give you what you want. Uh, but then we see, uh, because also we need to understand that a lot of our wants are being influenced by uh, this crazy system of advertising and materialism and consumerism that's happening to us all the time. If you're not familiar with this, just ch- type in worst Pepsi commercial ever, and you'll know <laughs> like the pitch that's happening all the time in our culture is about like, a product that's going to bring about world healing. Like Literally, this commercial was like, if you drink Pepsi, we'll all find peace and harmony and there'll be no more war. And people were like, that's not true, because Pepsi's not great. Um, So a lot of our wants and our desires, if we're not analyzing them or looking at them, they might have just become, they might have just come from advertising. What, What do we really, really want? What do we really want? And so then we find this beggar coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want? And he says, I want to see he doesn't say, I'd like some change. Could you help me out with a place to stay tonight?" And he says, I want to see the inaskable miracle. Can you heal my blindness? And what he's asking for, I think, in a lot of ways, is I would like to be whole. There's this thing that's keeping me from partaking all of this, and I want to be made whole again. I think it's important to consider that um, maybe our deepest desires, our deepest wants, by actually expressing them, they sound a lot like moving from feeling lost to feeling found. Maybe we grew up in a certain kind of religious culture and we were told to not really like want anything or just like be content with it or something like that. But uh, as you kind of go through your life, you're like, yeah, but I still have these things and I, is God, does God care about them? Is, is God involved with this? And to make this schism between those two things is to push the kind of who we are as people in the world aside from what we believe God is involved in the world. And maybe like that hasn't worked out for some of us. I know there's a lot of people in this room who've kept their faith throughout their lifetime and then, then there's those who've lost it or we're deconstructing or we're trying to figure it out. And maybe what the place of starting of a faith is to go, it's what I want. Because Jesus responds to him and says, your faith has healed you. He's saying, your want, what you finally express, what you want the most to me, it's the thing that's healing you. It's the thing that's healing you. It's the place of faith that's leading you to healing. And I wonder if we would even consider that, that maybe actually like our deepest wants is the, is the conversation that we need to have with God about what we want in the world, what we want from oursel- or in our lives, what we want from God. And that faith that we're looking for is actually starting at that spot. It's starting at that spot, and it is what's leading us to healing. Uh, <clears throat> There's some things I wanted to say, and I didn't, I didn't memorize them, so I'm going to read them here. Uh, yeah. So I think, um, how do we say this? Our deepest desire often is um, that we, uh, we think, so often faith, uh, we, can only, we believe in God because we believe God is the answer to our problems. We believe in God because God is the answer to our problems. I'm afraid. It's nice to have a big bodyguard around. <laughs> I have sin. I'm going to go to hell. It turns out God created that scenario, so I would like to be on his side. You know, whatever it is, we believe in God only because he becomes the answer to our problems, and we and we start to make God a product, and God is, like, something that we can get so then we can solve a problem and we can keep going, but that is, like, the surface conversation, and I think if If you read any kind of literature or even on your own journey, what the journey always of love is to get you to the spot to understand that actually God is our deepest, deepest desire. We're looking for God in our lives. It's our deepest desire. And I think the problem is is as an image maker is that what we've been given a lot in uh, in our world or through images and stuff like this is we start to think of God as something that we got to stand next to or get to or grasp to. And I just want to point out, and you'll probably not remember anything else I said this morning, but I did show a penis at church. Um, But, (laughs) there you go, just for me. But, like, we feel like we're, like, I'm distant, and I'm just trying to get to God, like, this little touch, this, this feeling, this sense like that. And I don't think that's the dynamic. When we say, like, God is our deepest desire, it's not so that we can stand next to God. I think that it's, that we can be in God. Jesus actually alludes to this. When he's praying before he's crucified, he says this, Father, may they all be one as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us for by this unity the world will believe that you sent me. He's saying something like how everybody will know I am the Christ is by this unity, this entering into this unity like I experience with you. And so maybe the better image for us is to think of this idea of the Trinity, this relational aspect of God, which is like serving one another and inviting this cosmic conversation. And so our desire for God is to be entered into that. And we have to take our very existence and put it into it with our wants, our desires, our hopes. I was uh, in my mid-20s and... Seemingly lost, which is pretty much how you define your 20s. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I had I'd done some Bible school, and then uh, I came back. And I lived in Europe, and I came back, and I worked at the Outback Steakhouse, and I was living with my parents, and I finally moved out. And then I got a job substitute teaching, and then I, because um, I, I was trained as a teacher, and then I eventually got a job at a high school developing an art program. And that year, I remember this moment. I was having these kind of weird, Things I went to a, a Damien Rice concert uh, was like when his O album came out. It was he came to the U.S. first, and I went to a concert, and I was like this close to him. And then the next, and then it exploded. And the next time I came, it was like at the Moore Theater in Seattle, which is like two balconies and it's huge and stuff like that. But I'd had this experience where I went to the concert. And I felt like I was on drugs. I didn't take drugs. But I was on, I was like, is somebody doing drugs around here? I didn't know how drugs worked. Um, I was like, is somebody doing it? Because I went into this, like, trance during the whole show. And I just saw artwork being made during the whole concert. I just saw art being made on stage. And I, um, I used to have lunch with my librarian at the school. And I told her this story. And she was like, uh, well, why don't you tell them your idea? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, that guy. Tell him your idea about like making paintings on stage. Uh, and I was like, well, he's kind of famous. That's a little hard. She's like, well, you should just tell him. And uh, that day, I was going to go to New York to visit some friends in two weeks. And my friend Joe called me. And he's like, hey, by the way, I got us Damien Rest ticket, tickets. So we're going to go to that show. So I was like, uh-oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. This is a really long story. I'm going to make it really short. I, I, I wrote an eight-page proposal with drawings and stuff um, most of you don't know me. I spent a lot of my career uh, being a live painter, live painting at events, so this was like, kind of at the start. And uh, <laughs> I went to New York, I went to the concert, and then I went backstage, I like, went behind the venue where all the tour buses and stuff are, and I waited there with this like, folder, with an eight-page proposal, and Glenn Hansard, who was on, the lead singer of The Frames, uh, he came out. And I had just heard about him because uh, I'd, I'd seen him at the concert, and I became really big friends, and so We chatted, and uh, I chatted with him a bit, and I was like, hey, so I have this proposal. Can I give, could you give this to Damien Rice for me? And I don't have many regrets in my life, but this is one of them. He goes, well, he, did he not come, he already came out. Oh, he's like, well, we're all going to this bar, so why don't you just come hang out with us, and you can give it to him there. And I didn't. Um, because I had just gotten there. My friends were teachers, and they had to get up early in the morning, and I'd, never, I'd only been in New York like once before, so I didn't. But I gave it to him, and then nothing happened, okay? Nothing happened from that. A year later, the frames came through town, and I found out that he did give it to Damien. We talked about it. It was great. But on, So that was that story. I, I, I put myself out there. I did this thing. I remember on the flight home, and, and while I was in New York, I met all these artists and people, and I had these conversations. And I remember when I was on the flight home and this thing had been stirring in me. I remember like just even a few weeks before all of this had happened, I'd been writing on my whiteboard in a prep period and i had stopped and I went, there's something more for me. I don't know what it is, but something is calling to me and I, I, I'm not sure what it is. And it was on this flight home, like <laughs> I, heard, I, heard, I heard some kind of voice say, tell me what you want to do, and I'll bless it. Tell me what you want to do, and I'll bless it. And I knew immediately what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to be a full-time artist. I want to work on staff at a church as an artist. I want to fight evil. Meaning, (laughs) like, I don't, just because I'm a painter, I don't want to be left out of important work. Like, you know, people are, like, government and aid, and I'm like, (laughs) I have feelings, you know, and I was like... (laughs) I wanted to be in part of like important work, and then I was like, and I want to go and tour with a band and make paintings. And in uh, that, that saying my want changed my life. Within, I quit my job teaching. I stayed waiting tables, but I I got a, a church gave me an attic in their building. I started painting uh, with them. I, and I eventually came on staff. A friend of mine was a low-level Christian artist, and I went on tour with him. Uh, making paint. He invited me to go on tour making paintings with him, which I met a drummer on that friendship uh, who now is one of my best friends, and my wife has a business with his wife. You know, like all this kind of stuff happened, and I got involved with World Vision and doing advocacy for orphans and AIDS orphans uh, by making paintings and stuff like that, and all of this stuff. And that was like 14 years ago. And it changed the trajectory of my life. But I had to, the same question came to me, what do you want? And when I said it, I lived into the calling that God was, had called me into. I didn't, like, stand next to God. I entered into the relationship that I was being invited to. So, we're on this series called Biblio Idolatry. <laughs> I haven't talked about, we've re- read the Bible, we haven't talked about the Bible. But I wanted to talk about like our wants and our desires because I don't, I think we need to understand that it is the pathway to, to know God and to enter into the life that God has for you. So when we read the Bible, uh, we bring a lot of wants and desires to the Bible. We might not think about it that way or like, no, I'm just reading it for what it is. But I think there are some things that we could say about what, like, possible wants when we read the Bible that maybe we're not even aware of. And I'm just going to run through some of them. uh, But, like, I want it to be perfect. I want it to make perfect sense. I want it to give me power. You would never say that. But basically, like, I want to win every argument. I want it to confirm my viewpoint. I want it to have answers for me now. I don't know what to do, God. Mm. Has anybody else done that in their lives ever? Totally have done it. Thank you, one person. Uh, I want it to prove that I'm secure and safe. I want it to alleviate mystery. I want to read it like I read books today. I wish it said everything, right? Do you know that, like, Peter, the Apostle Peter, had a wife? Uh, it says Jesus goes to his mother-in-law's house and heals his mother-in-law. You only have a mother-in-law if you have a wife. And actually, there's some, uh, through church history and tradition, I forget the guy's name, it's some you know, Roman name, but it's written that when when Peter is crucified upside down, his wife is there and she gets crucified upside down. and She's very zealous for their faith. She doesn't appear in the Bible at all, right? Because that wasn't, like, I want it to be written like how we write books with everybody in and every, and every story, and it's not. It's like certain things are written in certain ways, and so maybe I can't find everything in there the way I'd like to find it in other books. And so I have these wants of what I want the Bible to do for me, what I want it to do, how I live in the world. And, and often it can be frustrating because it can't accomplish all those things. But what happens is what we're, what we're facing is our projection about what we want out of it. And and that is not the way of love. If you've been in a relationship, you understand that love is about letting your wants and your projections go and and receiving for what it is. And Richard Rohr has this great uh, love meditation about seeing our projections on things, and so I'd like to run through it. He goes, hey, just take a rock, all right? Start with a rock. And uh, just try to love that rock, (laughs) What happens when you start to love something that can't do anything for you? You start to think about all the things that it can. Uh, I could use this to as a paperweight. I could use this to throw it at somebody I don't like or a doorstop. Whatever. All of a sudden, all the narratives, all the things that you want from this thing, come up. But he's like, "Can you just love the rock for what it is?" And then he says, "Go start with then go next to it like a tree." Oh, I could build a tree for it. This would make a great one half of a hammock hang. You know, this would be a good place to... He's like, just love the tree. And then he says, uh, move to a person. Move to a person. Do I need all these things from this person? Can I just love this person? Then he says, eventually move to God. Do I need all these things from God, or can I just love God? Because he's like, love is something that we grow into. And if we go all the way to our ultimate love all right away, he's like, we'll bring all of our projections with it and all of our wants or what we need it to be. But if we can start and move and grow into love, we'll let it be what it is. And I think that we can do that with the Bible. I think that we, our wants are important, but we must see that we have a filter of desire, a filter of want when we read it, and allowing to go, it's okay to have that filter, but I'm on a journey of love because the Bible is not God. It is a thing that points to the God of our world that has been involved since the beginning of time. And we are just a part of that community that is learning and growing and moving and, and in practice with that God. And so here are some places. I'm You know, I'm not... This isn't, I'm not a biblical scholar, if we're going to get, somebody else is going to do a hermeneutic talk, I guess, but these are some ways that as I've come and I've spent my life reading the Bible and studying the Bible, here are some practices and ways that I approach with the Bible. So an openness, let it excavate you. When you read a story, you know, the reason we tell stories from the Bible is because Uh, it helps us see that we're kind of in the same story as well. It's very different, but we can find that this is a very human interaction and a human story. So let it excavate your own life and marinate in it. The answers might not be so easy. Sit with it. I I think I actually preached here, and I talked about the story of the man who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus to be healed. And I... In my spirit, when I got to this passage in mark I, I just read it over and over again for three months because i i didn 't know why, but it, I, I just like i wouldn't i couldn 't move on and I just read that passage over and over and over again, and I realized it wasn 't apparent right away, but after three months, I was like oh it 's because I have a son who has an incurable disease, and i can 't do anything about it, just like this dad in this story, and that like <laughs> The spirit that's found in the Bible wanted to excavate that want and narrative with me through this. And it took a long time to get there. So sometimes just marinate in something. If it calls your name, just sit with it and let let it do its work. And then learn. Google is your friend. (laughs) There are commentaries and teachings. There are fantastic books. Learn about how the Bible's put together. Like, Just if you're like, I don't get this passage at all, just look it up. See, read a bunch of commentaries, what people, other people who have wrestled with it and stuff. There's many awesome things. Everybody in the Bible was a flat earther. Do you understand? Like, nobody knew we were in space. Like, it was written from an ancient people. And so there's some things that we're like, that doesn't sound clear. And that's okay. But when we can understand the framework and the perspective that people were writing, we'll see that we're being invited to that same interaction right now through our own understanding of the world we live in. And then put yourself in the circle of transformation. I think we've all been a part of the experience of people using the Bible to point at others. Because most of our arguments as human beings, if I had a piece of chalk, it would be like, here's the problem. You. That's most of our arguments. And a, and, a, and a way to be on the journey to love God through the Bible is to... <laughs> Yeah, do that and be like, I'm going to let it work on me and see and and let it go from there. So really, so those are some things about viewing the love, viewing our filter of want on the Bible and how we can move towards loving God through our interaction with the Bible. So the question for you this morning is, what do you want? You're on the side of the road as the parade of religion is coming by and you say, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me, and he, you're brought to him, and he says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Would you join me as we pray? Uh, God, we, we're here for lots of different reasons, lots of different wants, lots of different desires, and only you know what's in each one of our hearts, and you welcome that, and we hear your voice saying, what do you, is it that you want? What is it that you want? Maybe some of us know uh, right away what to say. Maybe some of us need to take some time, write it down, go on a walk, uh, let that be excavated out out of us. Maybe some of us on our faith journey have just said that's not even an important question, and we've been missing that conversation with you. Uh, We want to love the Bible, we want to love your word and we want to see it as, an, as, a, as another doorway, another path to walk to know you because our ultimate desire is you, to be whole in you um, with our lives and our vocation and our loves and our actions and all of those things. And so whatever it is that you would like to excavate out of us, our deepest wants, our desires, that conversation, we ask that you would, as you always do, kindly and with great, great mercy and grace. Help us see that conversation and lead us where you'd like to go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.